thank you for, for Hugh and his family. And we know you're going to speak through him now powerfully in Jesus' name. Bless him. And uh, yeah, just bless, bless this word. May it bring forth fruit, loads of fruit. Amen. very encouraged by someone who came up to me and told me that they had a word that said I should speak absolutely freely and whatever was on my heart. Um, I'll explain why that's particularly relevant in a few minutes. Uh, but as we were taking communion, I remembered the words that um, Paul had written about the communion. Jesus saying, uh, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you, eat ye all of it. And then in the same manner after supper he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood, drink ye all of it. And Paul goes on to say, every time we do this, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. And that was what struck me today as we were taking that, the time is short. How long have we got? End of Revelation. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right, the tree of life. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And what's the response to that? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. How long have we got? Maybe not very long. And what are we doing with it? And as I was meditating down there on that, um, I was thinking of what Jesus said just before he left. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. We need to be earnest. We need to see the time is short and there is much to do. Anyway, that, that's not my message. Otherwise I could, actually, possibly it is because I could then send everyone home nice and early before the floods surround us completely. I'm not always in the best place spiritually that I should be. I don't know about you guys. There's a sign um, that my son had on his bedroom door. Um, it's still there, although he's been away and married a number of years. And it says this, seven days without prayer makes one week. But the week is spelled W-E-A-K. And isn't that true? And we need so much to be dependent upon our God. 
I often feel that, I particularly feel that when I'm preparing. And unusually for me, I thought I was quite well prepared in the middle of the week. I had uh, the idea, I had what I wanted to say, where I was going to go. I'd done my research, I'd done my reading, I'd prayed over it. And at about half past ten last night, I finished it and I read it through. Suddenly realized it just wasn't right. Um, so today is something completely new that came at about 11 o'clock. So forgive me. Um, I think, no, 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 no. This is, this is, I think, um, the way God is working. <coughs> Let's see. If you've got a Bible, turn with me um, into Ephesians. If you've got a very good memory, may have, may not, you'll recall the last time I was here, uh, we looked at Ephesians and we started in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, talking about uh, the way that we had been called uh, in his love, that we were seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you may recall that I mentioned Hissing Sid, uh, that song from Captain Beaky in the 1970s, with all the sibilladesses. And so we had, from sin, we were sinners. We were saved. We're seated in heavenly places. And we're soldiers carrying a sword. I tried to get as many S's as they could in there. Well, I tried to carry on. Uh, uh, the message came, then I thought, are there any S's there? Because we're in Ephesians again. And here are the two S's, seeing spiritually, or seeing with spiritual eyes. So read with me from um, verse 15. For this reason, sorry, in chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all of the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? There it is again. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he has put all things under his feet and give and gave him as head over all things to the church that's us guys which is this is us guys his body the fullness of him who fills all in all Chris has been talking about um, kingdom and two kingdoms. So we have the kingdom of darkness, and that's where we were in, uh, in chapter 2, that you were once 
walking according to the uh, prince of the power of the air, the king of darkness. We were slaves, and then we were set free by the power of God. We're now in the kingdom of light. And we're still here very much looking at that, not only the tension, but the battle that's there um, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The only difference is that we know with a certainty that our God has the victory. And nothing, no one, no spiritual body, no power, no principality, no any part of darkness can overcome because we are more than victorious through him. So here's a prayer, and it's for you guys who are victorious. Now, if you're not there yet, and remember, again, going back to what Chris was saying, there are two kingdoms. There is no DMZ, no demilitarized zone. There's no neutrality. You can't be a Switzerland in this war. You're either of the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. And your default position is in the kingdom of darkness. Your default position is as a slave. Your default position is someone who runs according to Satan. And so if you're there today, then take hope because the king is alive has risen and is in glory and is here today. And you look around him at the people who are here, they are the body of the risen Lord. You want to be part of that, guys, because it's exciting stuff. Now then, let's look at this prayer. And the prayer is for those people. And it's this, three things. That the eyes of your heart be enlightened or be opened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So that's the first thing, to see the hope to which he has called you. Then secondly, the riches of his inheritance. And thirdly, well, the immeasurable greatness of his power. So hang on to your seats, chaps. Here we go. We're going to start then with hope. Why is he praying this prayer for those people who are clearly already saved, who are called according to his foreknowledge, who stand in righteousness? Well, he's saying, I want you guys to know my God so much better because there is so much that he wants to give you that you haven't yet got. You can be so much more effective So here we start. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 1 Peter 1 talks about a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a hope of salvation. It's a hope of righteousness. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5 and Galatians 5, if you want to follow that through. It's the hope, wonderful hope, of being raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15. Read it. Grave, where is their victory? Death, where is thy sting? For God has broken them all through Jesus Christ. The hope of glory and the hope of Christ in you. 
Listen to this from chapter 3. Again, another prayer. For this reason, I bow up my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according, that is in proportion to, the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you just get that? That Christ, through his Holy Spirit, is dwelling in you now. Look at the person next to you. Christ is dwelling in that person. Isn't that remarkable? When you see that person, that person has Christ. When you look in the mirror tomorrow morning when you're shaving or whatever you're doing, for 50% of us, maybe more, you are looking at Christ because he is living in you. Isn't that remarkable that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to understand or comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and depth and length and height and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that, now get this, this blows you away, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He just wants to pour out and pour out and pour out Christ within you. So it's not pie in the sky when you die, although that is that there as well, but it's Christ in you now. But it comes with a price tag. And that is, it's hope in the face of problems. And there will be great problems. Maybe with your family. Maybe you're the only person who's a Christian. I remember I was, when, when I was saved. I remember hearing my mother on the phone, what was I, 17 or 18, speaking to a friend and saying, well, he's got religion, but it's better than drugs, isn't it? <laughs> and I think she went, you never know how God deals with people in their dying hours, but she went to her grave with that, with that thought, I'm afraid. In the workplace, how many people here find it difficult in your workplace with people making fun of you? If you're standing up for Christ, if you are making a difference, if you are being Christ-like, you will suffer. Persecution. Well, we're not getting much of it at the moment, but if you look at the way that, for example, Christian um, guest housekeepers can no longer discriminate as to who they should have living under their roofs on a night-by-night basis. Street preachers are being arrested for hate crimes because we preach the truth of the gospel. Persecution is coming, guys. We have a window of opportunity. That's, again, links into what I said in Matthew 28. How much longer are we going to have that freedom? Go, make disciples, teach the nations whilst we can. Oh, that I may know him. Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. Can anyone finish that off? And the fellowship of his sufferings. That's right. They are, they are twofold. We are called to a life that will be persecution and suffering. Jesus said uh, to his disciples, the world hates me. Don't be surprised. It hated me first. 
if they hate you, it's because you are mine. If they don't hate you, what does that say about you? It's sober stuff, isn't it? The hope goes on to see what Jesus accomplished will never fail. What you see around you day to day is not the ultimate reality. That's the whole point of what he talks about in heavenly places. That's why we need desperately to have a spiritual perspective because we need to see that there is a battle in Ephesians 6. Maybe I'll come on to that sometime if I'm here again. We are in a battle. We are to put on the whole armor of God. We are to be soldiers and we need to be alive to that. So that's the hope. It's tremendous. Hope of so many things. Now, I bet you thought the same as I did when I first looked at inheritance. The second part. So we've got firstly the, you, the eyes of your heart may be opened. That you may know what is the hope which you've been called. And then, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? And of course, you immediately think 1 Peter 1. Oh, yes. I have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heavenly places for me. And we just write about Revelation. And that's where we're going. It's great and it's true, but that actually is part of the hope. It's not the inheritance that he's speaking to here. Because if you look at the words, he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Hmm. Again, look around you. If the person sitting next to you is Christ's, that person is part of that glorious inheritance. That's us, guys. We are part of God's glorious inheritance. We are the apple of his eye. Zephaniah 3, again, we have a God who sings and dances and rejoices over you. So if you're feeling down today, don't. Because you've got a heavenly father who says, that's my boy. That's my girl. Look at her. Look at him. They're the apple of my eye. I delight in them. Those of us who are parents, those of us who are grandparents, because I think we enjoy it more the second time round, delight in our children, don't we? And when they're very young, the development is extraordinary. Um, my, my youngest grandson... He changes from visit to visit. I don't get up there as often as I should. I see him maybe once every 10 days or so. What a remarkable change in that time. And it brings a smile to my face. And I see the videos of what he's doing, the new words he's learning. Isn't it fantastic? You've been a parent, grandparent, you can see that. God is doing that for you. Our little baby steps, the little things that we do. Isn't that great? So, we are the apple of his eye, the delight of his heart. We are a beacon shining on a hillside. Just troll on a little bit into Ephesians 3. Verses 9 and 10 say this. It talks again about, I'll read from verse 8 actually. To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. There it is again. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages 
in God who created all things. Carry on. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, two facets there. Firstly, we are preachers of the word. We are communicators. We are ambassadors. We're called that. You are prophets, priests, kings, ambassadors, sons of the living God, joint heirs with Christ. Tremendous titles that you have. But as well as that, we are God's vindication in the heavenly places to those authorities. And he says to Satan, look, look at my son, Hades. Look at my daughter, Helen. I'm only picking you two because I've got my glasses on so that you two I can see. Could be anyone. Could be any one of you. And it is every one of you. He's saying, look at my boy. Look at my girl. There's the power of the church. So never think that you're without power. Finally, he talks about the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That's just stunning, isn't it? The power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that helps you to love and to act in peace to all those around him. Now, we've already touched on suffering. The power to endure. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So that's basically And I suppose I could stop there. But we need to put some meat on it and try and be a bit practical. I thought, particularly given the way I was feeling last night, about having the eyes open and um, where we see that in the Bible. Well, of course, we've got Balaam and his donkey. And I thought, yeah, I'm a bit of a donkey, aren't I? And it was his eyes that were opened when the donkey spoke to him. And then he saw the angel of the Lord there. But that's not the example that I want to look at. So again, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. Verse 8, background. Israel and Syria have been at war. Not of Israel's doing, but the king of Syria has been sending raiding parties time and time and time again into Israel, trying to, obviously it's it's an incursion, trying to take over, trying to subjugate, trying to slaughter. And the thing is, every time he does it, it goes wrong. Because there's this guy called Elisha, who's a prophet. And Elisha goes along to the king of Israel, who actually is not very much better, but a slightly better king than Ahab, the one before. But he's still far from being a man of God, but recognizes Elisha. And Elisha says, look, um, king of Syria, God's told me, king of Syria is um, uh, going uh, through this place. And so you either want to avoid it or mass your army there. And the king of Syria was getting increasingly frustrated. And he took counsel with his servants, this is verse 8, saying, at such and such a place will be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you don't go there. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this. And he called his servants and said, 
will not show me who is of us is for the king of Israel. They all said, none of us, my Lord. But it's Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king the words that you speak in your bedroom. Stop there for a minute. They recognized that God was omniscient and able just to listen in, even to his thoughts in the bedroom. He thought he had a spy. He had God watching over him. Now he had someone who was listening to him, Elisha. And he said, go and see where he is that I may seize him. And it was told to him, behold, he's in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elijah said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed. And he said this, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed again and said, please strike me with blindness. And so he did, according to Elisha's prayer. And then Elisha said to them, this isn't the way, follow me. And what happens is he takes them back to Samaria. And then when he gets back there, he asks the Lord to open their eyes again. And they're there. Well, we'll come back to that part of the story in a moment. But let's look at this. We have here a story of two men. Elisha was a man who saw with spiritual eyes and his servant, uh, who was part of the household, so uh, in modern language would be uh, part of the church, but wasn't looking with spiritual eyes. And you you can just imagine it, can't you? Just like all of us, tomorrow morning, what will we be doing? Well, I'll be getting up. I don't often do breakfast, actually, but I should. So I'll have a cup of coffee and trot into the office and I make sure that everyone's all right, and all the work is there properly. Sit down, look at my mail, check the 195 emails that have come in overnight. I'll see a client, do some work, go to court. And God may be far from my thoughts. Does that ring a picture, ring a bell with you? We just live our lives. We just go on doing the ordinary things. That's exactly what this guy was doing. He was going out on business as usual, going out, getting a bit of water, going to get some stick and boil it up and make him a cup of tea and take it into his master. He had no mind for the spiritual battle because he was so taken up with the here and now. He was completely unprepared. And if we're like that, what happens next is going to happen to us. He goes out. And he goes back and he says, oh, alas, my master, what are we going to do? Total panic. And how often, again, does that resonate with us? That's our first reaction to a situation. What am I going to do now? Look how he dealt with it. Now, Elisha, on the other side of the coin, was a man 
who God had been dealing with. A man who had spiritual sight. A man who spent time with God. And maybe he'd been reading the Psalms. By then, most of the Psalms had been written. Perhaps he'd read Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? Or maybe Psalm 3. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. He will have been reading scripture. I have no doubt of that. He will have been communing with God. And as a result, he was calm. He was relaxed. Although there may have been some inner turmoil. But he was confident in his God. And we look firstly at how he dealt with his servant. Now, I think there's a real picture here for us dealing with each other. And when you have, and how many of us have had Christians, brothers and sisters, coming to us where they're overwhelmed? Circumstances have completely hit them and knocked them for six. And you think, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to help this person? Well, look at Elisha. This is what he did. Firstly, encouragement. Verse 16. Don't be afraid. He will have expanded on that, I'm sure. But he was just saying, you don't need to be afraid of your circumstances. Don't be afraid. Calm down. If you leave it there, that's pretty empty, isn't it? So the next thing he goes on to say is, why shouldn't we be afraid? And what he does is he points to scripture. The biblical truth, while there is no need to fear. And he says in verse 16, for greater are those who are with us than those who are against us. Does that remind you of a verse anywhere? 1 John 1, 4. For greater is he that is than he that is exactly. Isn't that great stuff? Scripture just reinforces some of these things, doesn't it? And then the third thing he does, he prays for his servant. Lord, open his eyes. And what happens? Well, then he sees. It's lovely, actually, to see that uh, God has um, used a particular way. There's an army there. So how does he show his power? He puts a bigger army there, a very practical demonstration. How then did he deal with the situation? Three things that are seen here. Knowledge, prayer, and reaction. He knew his God was in control. He prayed a practical prayer, and then he repaid evil with good. So how do we know that? Well, in the story, it goes on. So he goes out there. I assume he goes out with his servant, because the servant has now seen, I'm on the right side. Look at all those fiery chariots. And he goes out, and the soldiers of Syria have been blinded. Now, they must have been able to see something still, so I suspect it's more a blinding of understanding. Because he goes out and speaks to them and says, look, he's not here, this is the wrong city. Come with me, and I'll take you there. And so they blindly follow him. And he takes them all the way back to the headquarters of their enemy. And when they get there, he prays again and says, all right, God, please will you open their eyes again? And they go, my word. And they're in the middle of a citadel, surrounded by enemy soldiers. Now the king of Israel says, oh, my father, shall I slaughter them all? Oh, this is a good plan. And Elisha says, no. Feed them and then send them home. Send them 
showing good to your enemies. He repaid evil with good. And the beauty was they fed these guys who must have been totally bewildered. They were expected to be slaughtered, instead of which they're given the best meat, the best bread, and the best wine, and then they're sent back to Syria. And what's the result? The king of Syria goes, hmm, I see what's going on here. God is clearly in control and stops any further attack. It's remarkable. And I'm sure when we're talking to brothers and sisters, we will see examples of that in our own lives, in their lives. I, I, I don't know many of you know this illustration, but you forgive me for using it. Um, it's of, I think, an American medical missionary in one of the African states. And he went back to his church, I think in Chicago, and um, said to them, the most remarkable thing happened. Um, I was out of medicine, and I had to go to a nearby town, uh, and I restocked, so I had a lot of drugs on me. I was riding on my bicycle, and then I saw these two men fighting. One man was getting the worst of it, and he was knocked down, and he was cut, and he was bruised, and he had uh, all sorts of injuries. Uh, and the other man ran away. And I was so taken with love for him that I stopped and ministered to this gangster. And I bound up his wounds, and I gave him some money, and I gave him some food, and I set him on the side of the street, and he was fine when I left. And I went home. Now, I had to camp overnight, so I camped a few miles outside of the town, and then the following day I went back to the mission. And a few weeks later, I went back to the town again. And that same gangster came up to me and said, Hey, it's you. He said, yeah. Well, do you remember you helped me? And he said, well, yeah, I did. Well, that night, me and my mates, we knew that you had drugs and money and things, so we followed you into the jungle. And we were going to rob you and beat you up and take everything that you had. And when we got there, we were amazed. We, we weren't going to touch you because there were 26 armed soldiers standing around you. What? <laughs> I can tell you absolutely, surely. I had no one with me that night. I was all on my own. <laughs> Look, all of us saw it, sunshine. We backed off straight away. And one of the men in the church, one of the deacons, uh, raised his hand and said, do you remember the date that that happened? Uh, and the missionary said, well, yeah, it was March the 13th. The man said, I thought so. Because on that night, I was... In fact, it was the day in America, so I was driving to work, and God gave me this overwhelming message that I needed to pray for you and your safety there and then. And he gave me this, this thought that it couldn't just be me. I needed several of us to be praying for you. So I called as many of the men in my men's group as I could. And I think a lot of us are here. So would you all stand up, those who prayed with me that day? And 26 men. Good up. <laughs> Isn't that great? That is the power that we have. And if nothing else, it's the power of prayer. Guys, you think it means nothing. You think it's a brass ceiling. It's not going anywhere. It's so wrong. God listens to you. God sends angels. Um, thank you. You quoted a little bit of um, Psalm 91, I think, earlier, didn't you? Um, where God will send angels to watch over us. Fantastic. Don't 
minimize the power of prayer. So let's just be practical for a minute here and look at, all right, we've seen Dothan, we've seen um, uh, what, what happened there. What can we do in this circumstance? Firstly, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Isn't that important? It needn't be, we needn't be closeted on our knees 24 hours a day, but it's the arrow prayer when you're driving, the prayer when you see someone walking past. When you see someone who's in need, you stop and say, can I pray with you? When you're talking to someone, pray so that that means something. And then pray, pray for the elders. Pray for the ministry of the church here. Pray for what's going on day by day downstairs. Pray for the homelessness um, uh, mission that's going on. Pray for the people who come in. Pray for the good of this town. Pray for salvation. The fields are white and ready for harvest. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers. Knowing full well, if you're praying that, it could well be you. The power of prayer is tremendous. Secondly, you can't be ignorant. When we stand before authority, we need to have a reason for the faith that's within us. So, in 1 Timothy, it talks about studying to show yourself a workman approved of God. So study the word, read the word, imbue that, because it's there, God's given it to us, all of us, in order that we can grow and be mature and be used. That's, that's 2 Timothy 3.16. And then, in our prayer, how do we do it? Well, there are two lots of um, scripture that talk about this. Paul writing them both, but it's extraordinary. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, if you're saying it twice, there's going to be something there, isn't there? But he then goes on to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything... With, by prayer and supplication, anyone know what the next bit is? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and, the, and God will keep your hearts and minds in peace. I'm paraphrasing. Isn't that remarkable? We start by rejoicing, which doesn't always mean skipping around like a lunatic. It's the idea of being rejoicing in what we have been given, who our God is. We were looking at the mightiness of our God earlier. We were looking at the fact that he died on a cross for us. We can rejoice in the fact that I don't have to die eternally because he's done it for me. I don't have to pay the price of my sins because he's done it for me. That's our rejoicing. We rejoice in the fact that we have a God of power and of majesty and of might. Call on the Lord, and he will hear you. My ear is ever inclined toward you. He's just waiting, longing for us to do that. Prayer. If we do anything this year, look, I should be looking in a mirror when I'm preaching this, because this is really for me. I need to learn the attitude of prayer, the life of prayer. It makes such a difference, guys. And look at what we have as a result. Hope. We are the inheritance. The glory of his wonderful power. And they're all ours. And all we've got to do is say, Lord, please give. And he, he talks, Jesus talks about which father, if 
his child asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. So much more then, how will, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, will your heavenly Father not grant him to you? We have that wonderful power in our lives. Let's see it unleashed this year. I think we've got really powerful and exciting things going on in Abergavenny, in Wales, possibly across the nation. Let's be ready for that. I've got another 20 minutes. Um, I think I'd better stop there now, guys. That's a, that's a good convenient point. But there were all sorts of things about showing how mighty our God is, how important prayer was to see the invisible, the invisible powers of God that are there. But I'm, I'll stop there. Perhaps that's another day. Because there's so much to be taken out of um, Elisha at Dothan. But pray without ceasing. Those of you who are here who have a hope, and if the band wants to come up, that's great. Thank you. If you have a hope, it's great. Work on it. If those of you who are sitting here today, and it's no accident that you're here, if you're still not part of that kingdom of light and want to be, come and see someone. There'll be someone here at the end of the service. You can talk. You can come and talk to me. You can come and talk to any of the elders. Uh, and we will pray with you. You will not be disappointed. Our God is a God who delights and wants to see you saved transformed, living a life that is bright and shining. Let's just pray in closing. Loving Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. We thank you that you are the God of power, of majesty, of might, of dominion, that death has lost its sting, that we are powerful through you. Lord, thank you for the hope that you Thank you that you see us as an inheritance. Thank you that you see us as the apple of your eye. Lord, help us to walk worthy of that calling today. Come by the might of your power and your spirit. Come today, renew us in the inner man that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and depth and height and to be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you the cross. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for who you are.